This week's episode of Comic Book Club is sponsored by Alitu. What's Alitu? I don't know. What's Alitu with you? I'm just kidding. Alitu is a podcast maker app on the web. It automates the production and publishing process and offers a tool to make editing quicker and easier. Here's how it works. Podcasters record their show as normal, then upload the recordings to Alitu. Alitu then converts all your files, cleans up the volume, background noise, and hiss. Then Alitu pieces the clips together, adds your theme music automatically, and publishes the episode direct to your podcast host. If you need to edit out any mistakes, you can use Alitu's custom podcast editing tool to do just that before creating your finished episode. On top of that, Alitu has got a free theme music library to polish up your show. Plus, coming in the next month, call recording. Record your show right into Alitu, whether it's a solo show with your co-host or an interview with a guest. Try it out for a week free over at Alitu.com. That's A-L-I-T-U.com to get your one-week free trial. <laughs> What is up, y'all? Welcome to The Stack. I'm Alex. I'm Justin. I'm Pete. And on The Stack, we talk about a ton of comics that came out this week. So many comics. So many big comics. But I want to kick it off with this one, Pete. Pete, this goes out to you. Yeah. Once upon a time, there was a little boy who grew up in Rochester loving four turtles. Yeah! Those four turtles lived in the sewer. They loved pizza. And they were ninjas. They were the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, and this uh, is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, The Last Ronin, number one, dedicated to Pete LePage. From that, IDW, comic story by Kevin Eastman, Peter Laird, and Tom Waltz, script by Tom Waltz and Kevin Eastman, layouts by Kevin Eastman, pencils and inks by Esau and Isaac Escorza. Now, the whole thing behind this is this is... Reportedly, according wait, wait, to IDW, let, me, let me just take it over. Let me just take it from. Oh, here. you want to take Thank it over? Thank you for okay. talking. Take it from here. Yeah. Go. For this it. seems so like a risk. <laughs> uh, Eastman and Laird back in the day had this story, and they just kind of put it on the shelf because they kind of stopped doing Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles for a while. Uh, so they had this uh, story planned a long time ago. Um, and just as a fan, it's very exciting that they got the chance to do this. And the fact that just to see the names Eastman and Laird next to each other again, whoo, what a magical time, but I'm sorry, Zelps, go ahead. No, I have a, I have a question. Um, so did they, cause they famously stopped getting along, right, Pete? Uh, I don't know if it, who, it, the, they kind of split ways. They went their separate yeah. ways. I don't know, like why or you know whatever happened i didn't really kind of dig into that but uh you know so is this them getting back together a little bit well this is them at least uh kind of dusting off something and being like yeah (laughs) no it's eastman dusting it off and working with idw to uh move forward with the story probably without laird or i mean i don't know him but i assume him being like whatever do whatever you want you don't know laird Better do there. Uh, let me ask um, you: um, Do you think they are going to do any like alternate covers or anything for this book? Uh, I I tell you what: What's funny about that is because there's like sixty of them. Seventy-one, seventy-one alternate covers. But I just want to say, I was like paging through them, and it wasn't like I was like, wait a second, Last Ronin. 
oh my god, the other turtles are dead. And it took me to like the 45th cover before I really put it together. <laughs> I was like, oh no, this is going to be sad as fuck. Yeah, yeah that's how I'm they paced it out. This. I think that's the genius about it is it really does take you until the 45th cover to really yeah. get the plot of the book. Yeah. 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 Honestly, when I was a little behind the curtain, uh, we get to review these, we get them as PDFs. And uh, I was going through it, I was like, wait a second, is this the comic? Am I just not putting this together? <laughs> and I was like, no, these are covers. And I was like, after another 30, I was like, oh no, this has to be the comic. I'm, there's, I'm, am I missing the story here? Maybe they link up. And then finally I was like, no, I guess this is just covers. And then one last time I was like, this is just like a series of pinups or something. <laughs> <laughs> and it's an like, emotional roller coaster to page through them for sure. Yeah. Uh, but no, it's actually a story. It's, it's basically Dark Knight Returns, but with the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. That's pretty much it. Or Old Man Logan don't with try the Teenage Mutant Cheapen the story. Hold on, hold on. Pete, don't jump on me yet because I thought this was great. Like, I'm saying this is a reference point. It is very much. One of the turtles heads back to the city to take down the descendant of Shredder. He's the only one left. He's old man turtle now. Uh, and that's what it is. Like, you know what the setup is, but it really does feel like those old Eastman and Laird comic books down to the art, down to the pacing and everything. And I thought it was awesome. I was very excited about reading this comic, even though I understood the comic, even though uh, the concept, even though we've walked through this sort of thing multiple times before. It's fun to see the turtles in it. Yeah. yeah. Or turtle. I mean, it's super sad. Um, yeah. It's a, it definitely has that very much like uh, I dwell in darkness uh, vibe throughout. And that's why uh, the reveal at the end is sort of like uh, the hua moment. Yeah, that was really heartbreaking. And I was uh, I was not ready for it. Um, let me say, uh, there's a moment where um, our last Ronin turtle falls out of like a skyscraper mm-hmm. and falls. He's like, oh, no, I'm going to die. And then he lands and he doesn't land on his shell. And I feel like if he landed on his shell, he would have been all right. Right. <laughs> he lands so on you his shell. Like, why didn't you as your only has a half shell. Mid-air. Half shell. I guess that's I where mean, I think later... Trouble. The last couple of panels explain why to you, if you kind of put that together, but, you know, okay. Wait, why does it explain why? Because of what happens later? No, it doesn't explain why he didn't land on the no, show. No, that doesn't explain oh. it. Uh, I, I w- will say one of the things that I also thought was great about this is one of the hills I'll die on is I never liked the animated series of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It made me actively angry. And one of the reasons it made me angry is I read the Eastman and Laird comics first, and those are bloody, those are intense, they're emotional at times. They're great. And then they turned them into these cowabunga dude eating pizza guys. And it was very frustrating for me that this was why everybody loved the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles versus the comics. Like, that was definitely my first gatekeeping experience, I think. And getting back to these comics, it feels like getting back to reminding people, no, these comics were actually kind of hardcore. They were No, no, these turtles are miserable. Don't get, don't, they're not having fun uh, with a van. Uh, They're mad and sad. Though I, I will say you get you get your Baxter Stockman references here, you get your oh, Mouser yeah, references dude. here, and uh, were those in the original comics or is that? Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. 
but more the mousers I mean, were yeah I all the time and we've talked about this on the show before but I all the time think about as a teen reading Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and being like okay they're gonna beat Shredder in this first arc and they don't and Shredder destroys them and they run away and they spend an entire arc hiding at a farm and healing because they yeah. got beaten up so badly by Shredder. And that made such an impact on me. So same sort of thing here happening to our last Ronin. I think it is very reminiscent of that, starting it off at a place where, no, they just don't win. They lose. Like, this is... It almost works against the idea of the big Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in a certain way, where it is very serious. And it yeah, is... Yeah. Very bloody and intense action, but it's very good. I mean, they're teenagers. It's hard when you're a teen. You're going to lose. It's hard to, yeah. You're going to (laughs) lose. You're going to lose. Speaking of people that are going to lose, let's move on to talk about it. We're moving on. Just wanted to say like a couple things here. First off, like I was really hoping this was all going to be black and white. I was a little disappointed it was color. Um, The original ones were black and white and really well done. Uh, But the coloring is cool. I guess. And uh, I was really kind of heartbroken by this issue. This is like very sad and depressing. Um, and I was like really looking forward for this to like pick me up. And when it didn't and it made me sadder, it was rough. Um, I was really looking forward to this issue and the fact that it, I liked how dark and gritty it was, but the way it kind of ended really hurt. Uh, but I do hope that Eastman and Larry can set aside whatever they have because I would love for them to kind of give me a little bit more TMNT. I don't think that's going to happen, but let's move on to another team. X of Swords, Stasis number one, or Ten of Swords, Stasis number one, from Marvel, written by Tini Howard and Jonathan Hickman, art by Pepe Larraz and Mahmoud Azrar. This is the midpoint of... Exactly, I think. I think it's chapter of twenty-two, yeah. Of yeah, of twenty-two of Ten of Swords, and we finally get the thing that you've been begging for, Pete. That you've been asking for. We transition from everybody getting their swords to getting ready for the tournament. That's what happens in this issue. We finally have our sword bearers. We meet the other side. We meet the villains, and then they all get together in other worlds to get ready for the final battle. Uh, this is great. I. Ah. So good. Loved the building of the villains. I love these villains. They're so smart and they're so interesting. And even if the reveal at the end is pretty obvious, I feel like you could have seen it going for the building uh, beginning. It's still very emotionally satisfying. Yeah. Uh, I'm happy we got the fast forward button because I would have like really been upset if we had to go through another 10 issues of everybody getting their swords on the villain side. So I was glad it was like one issue and get it all done. I wish we could have had that with the other side, but great. We can't. It's all out of the fucking way now. The next issue's got to have action. It's got to have sword fighting, right? I don't think uh, any swords. I actually don't think there's any sword fighting, I think, now that they have their swords all together. They'll put them away and just... Wolverine says that, right? That they're like metaphorical swords? Exactly. And he's also like, you know what? Claws are just tiny swords. I don't need these either. 
I'll give these up as well. <laughs> he hands them to a poor, uh, swordless kid yeah. on the street. He's like, here you go. Here's my claws. Uh, this what day is it, sir? Right <laughs> Christmas morning. I got to say, though, this is, Have my this is an epic cover. It's a really glorious uh, cover to this book. Uh, I, I love all of this. I mean, the... It's really I feel like with this issue everything's like cranky on all cylinders. The um Araco stuff is really starting to come together and the different corners of it, the different sort of monsters and mutants uh from their side coming together. We get the interstitial panels where we get to see all their swords, very cool. Um Saturnine is setting up like both a villain and sort of the uh unlike the uh person who's just not able to control the situation that she's created and then the tarot card bit at the end i thought was awesome yeah this is all so good the art by pepe liraz and mahmoud azrar is seamless normally i'm not a fan of taking two artists and sticking them together though both of the artists are great but uh, fantastic there was no stoppage in the pace of the issue uh, between their different pages. I think T.D. Howard and Jonathan Hickman are working amazingly together. Like, you kind of tell where T.D. Howard is leading into jokes and Jonathan Hickman is leading into, here's some insane mythology! Yeah. Uh, but it still blends very seamlessly. Fantastic stuff. This is one of my favorite crossovers that has happened in a very, very long time. Let's move to a ending, at least for now, with Wind Number 5 from Boom Studios, written by James Tyner the Fourth and oh, art man. by Michael Dionysus. Uh, Dionysus. Um, I got to get that right at some point. Uh, so this is, as mentioned, the end of the arc. They're going to be coming back next year at some point with this issue. Uh, with this title, this is set in a fantasy world that hates weird things. We get some big revelations this issue about the villains, as well as our heroes, as well as the promise of more to come. There's a big showdown. Um, I thought this was a really good arc, and I'd highly recommend, if you didn't pick it up in individual issues, definitely pick this up and trade. What'd yeah, think? I think this really uh, ended such a great place. Like, it did such an amazing job of, like, kind of weaving this the venture tale uh in such a cool way and man what a fantastic last issue that makes me very sad that it's ending i want more they really did a great job of setting up this world and i hope they get to play in it more because i would be excited to read it art's fantastic writing's unbelievable this is a great great package and speaking of great packages justin what are your thoughts <laughs> Thanks, B. I am a great package using your words uh as a description of me. Um I uh, I like this a lot too. I feel like it really is like a small step into a huge yeah. world that I feel like um James Tynan uh the fourth is ready to like really walk us into. Um uh, it's a world where everything is pre-contained and controlled, but it's also like uh, basically any fantastical thing can exist in this world. It's just been so restrained that it's um, it needs to be released, perhaps by our hero. And that's just a nice spot to start uh, this whole series or however long they, they run it for. Yeah. And, and just to mention off of what Pete was saying, it is coming back for win number six next year. This is just the end of the first arc. There's just going to be a gap. I believe it's coming back Sweet. in May. So there you go. Uh, moving on to another James Tynion the Fourth book, Dark Knight's Death Metal: Rise of the New God, number one from DC Comics, written by James Tynion the Fourth and Brian Hill, art by Jesus Marino and Nick Varela. Uh, this is picking up on the Dark Knight's Death Metal event 
and showing us this is a this is kind of a big revelation, not just for this event, but also for the mythology that Scott Snyder and company have built up. They have been promising that Perpetua, the mother of the multiverse, has been preparing the multiverse for someone or something else. And we finally get a little taste of what that something or something else is here uh, in a more dick watcher who shows up essentially yeah. to chronicle what's <laughs> going on. It took me a little DC bit to understand what you were saying. You were like, more yeah, dick watcher. I was like, what? Like a watcher with more yeah, penises. Yeah, I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, he has like He's multiple like, man, if you want more uh, dick, check out this new watcher. <laughs> <laughs> that is a note we get a lot. It's like, I love the watcher, but more dick? <laughs> uh, yeah, but we've, we meet this new character called the Chronicler, who is, of course, chronicling the DC Universe. Uh, things go interestingly from there as he resurrects a character who was recently killed. Um, I like this issue, though. This uh, was not what I expected for the title, uh, and it's a key piece of the mythology, and I'm happy that they're finally getting there. Yeah, I mean, this yeah. is just continues to be over-the-top fun. Uh, I enjoy it. The Chronicler is a cool new kind of, like, reveal. Uh, also, this Metron guy really misses his chair, and I get it, man. You know, if you're standing for a long time, especially out in space, that's got to be rough. You know, when you act. It's actually very easy to stand in space. Oh, well, you just- he's complaining a lot for a guy who, uh, you know, misses his space chair. So, have you ever seen the movie Gravity? Sandra Bullock has a lot of lines about, wow, this is easy. <laughs> I'm yeah. standing. This yeah. is so easy. <laughs> and that's sort of that big ending, right? Is where she's like, it's mm-hmm. even easier than I thought it was. <laughs> uh,. I like this issue a lot. Uh, this chronicle, it's very Kirby-esque, mm-hmm. this, whole, uh, this whole issue. Now, at a, at a point in the book, uh, the chronicle is showing uh, off his, uh, his little book, his codex yeah. of the DC Universe, um, to Brainiac 5, and um, he reads it and barfs. Now, what do you think would have to be in a book to make you instantly barf? Hmm... Like, is there a comic book you've ever read where you got very close to barfing? I mean, I don't think so. But if somebody handed me the next Game of Thrones book, I'd probably throw up of excitement. I mean, if they were like, like a positive, graph- oh, a, a mm-hmm. positive barf. I don't know. No, go ahead. Say what you I was going to say. If they were like graphically describing something that was like grotesque and like you know was very queasy, I might throw up. You know. If it was talking about like maggots writhing in some kind of like vomit or like garbage, just you know, like if you saw a picture of someone vomiting in a book, you'd be like, "Oh, here yeah. I go." You'd be like, "Ooh, <laughs> maybe that's what it was." I did when I saw Brainiac Five throw up in that book. Yeah. I vomited yeah. too. Yeah, it's very, it's visceral sympathy vomit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but good stuff. Moving on to Sex there Criminals number 69. You get it. Image Comics by Match Fraction and Chip Zdarsky. This is the last issue of Sex Criminals ever. They are done with the story. We kind of thought they were done with the story last issue, but we zoom forward a bunch of years to catch up with the characters. Well, what well, do you first, think about this final issue? What do I got to ask you a personal question here, Zelps. You got to be really disappointed because dedicated to there is an Alex W, not an Alex Z that is dedicated to. That had to really chap your buns. 
<laughs> yeah, I definitely both uh, read that, saw that, and had a emotional reaction okay. to that. So thanks for catching yeah, on. I'm sorry, that. man. Pete, famously known for reading every dedication page in a comic book <laughs> and giving us his take. Um, I think this series finished really strong. A series that I thought wavered a bit at a point, and by their own admission, um, Matt Fraction was sort of like, yeah, we wandered for a little bit in there. Um, But I think really, the last issue I thought was great, and this issue had all the, it felt like those moments when you see someone that you used to date or used to be in love with or or something, and all of that, it's just played so well in this, um, from top to bottom. And then all of the sort of, the sex stuff is like treated as like just a little side thing, which I think is a little bit the point of the series, where it was like it was always about the characters and uh, their sex crimes, the sex criminals stuff was just like the fun bit that kept, got everyone I, together. I love this. I wish the whole series was like this, you know, just yeah, I thought it really focused on the love, you know. <laughs> oh. Sure. You would prefer love yep. criminals? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I thought this was a good or issue. Just even sex relationshippers. Even oh. if it wrapped up very nicely in the last issue with the main plot, uh, this is a nice little coda, a nice little finishing bit on there. Um, uh, yeah, I can make a lot of jokes, but for Pete's sake, I will refrain from making all of them. This episode of Comic Book Club is brought to you by Hulu's Hellstrom. Hellstrom, that sounds scary. Pete, it is scary. Hellstrom is about two siblings, Damon and Anna Hellstrom, who have a dark history and a complicated relationship who use their skills and knowledge of the supernatural to help track down a powerful serial killer. Scary. Oh, oh no. No, no, no. no. Pete, it's okay. It's okay. The show's pretty funny sometimes, too, or at least darkly comic. The cast is great. You got Tom Austin as Damon Hellstrom, Sidney Lemon yes. as Anna Hellstrom, and Elizabeth Marvel is in it, too. And in between the chilling scares, everyone is still having a lot of fun. Okay, phew. At the same time, it's still not the sort of series you want to watch with the lights off. There's twists, turns, and plenty of gross scares, particularly for a hardcore horror fan like this guy. Oh, no. No, no, no. Uh, but really, it's all about that family drama and some fun mysteries that will keep you guessing until the end of the season. And the good news is all episodes are now streaming on Hulu, so you can power through and find out the answers to those mysteries right now, today. Oh, okay, phew, phew. But also, it's terrifying. Stop! And emotional. Okay, all right, phew. And about how the worst demons are the ones inside of us. There's demons inside of me? Metaphorical demons. Oh, no! Hellstrom, all episodes now streaming on Hulu. Stranger Things Science Camp number two from Dark Horse Comics, written by Jody Hauser, pencils by Edgar Salazar. Uh, this is an interesting comic that takes place between seasons two and three of Stranger Things as Dustin is at science camp meeting Susie, the girl of his dreams. Uh, that we find out about in season three. And it turns out there's maybe a stalker killer at the camp. Uh, The weird thing to me, I like this book just fine, but the weird thing to me about Stranger Things comic books is almost nothing strange should ideally happen in any books outside of the main continuity of Stranger Things, right? Like They can't have some side fun? No, 
Uh, see, I, I I sort of felt the opposite. I felt like I wanted something to happen here. This was like very less less strange. What about the? It's not strange. What are you enough. talking about? That guy is killing kids. Is he though? It just this just feels like a totally unrelated book. So I'm like, yeah, it's vaguely uh, one of the Stranger Things kids here, but. It's not. It doesn't. It feels unrelated to the main no series, way, and so it's hard to get focusing in on it. on the star of the show. I love it. It's great. He's not Did the you, star. So you like this? Yeah, book, I thought Pete? it was fun. I like the setup of this relationship, um, and uh, yeah, and I like the kind of okay, you know, some things that are happening. And I'm sure our our hero will get to the bottom of it and save the day. Yeah, I guess we'll see what happens. I do think uh, Jody Hazard does a good job with the writing, captures Dustin, uh, Edgar Salazar's yeah, art is good as well. Um, yeah, it's just tough to wrap your mind around this book a little bit, uh, at least nope. from my perspective. Next up, here's an easy book to understand, one that you could just like sink right into. The Immortal Hulk, <laughs> number 39 from Marvel Comics, written by Al Ewing and art by Joe Bennett. Oh my God, this issue was insane. Uh, as the leader continues to enact his plan, working for the one below who controls this whole gamma hell, whatever is going on there, and tried to take over the Hulk. We thought the leader was doubted out last issue. Turns out he is very much not. As usual, he has a plan to get one over on all the Hulks and everybody uh, as we slowly move towards the end game of the series. Uh, this is as wild and gross as any issue of this title. Yes. I, this, I, I felt like, really brought a lot of this stuff to a head. Um, the grossness, the, like, the viscera of the, like, Hulk throat mouth coming out and uh, eating Hulk's dad uh, in the middle of this book. And just, like, it, I love it, though. Like, it's so good. The idea that the only way to defeat the Hulk is to, like... Get inside his brain, open a green door inside his own uh, mental state. And we see Hulk at his weakest here where he's like, I just want my dad to say I love you. And he like he messes up. He fucks up because he it's his vulnerability. And we just have to watch it happen. Ending on this just horrifying image. Yeah, it gets it keeps getting worse and worse for the Hulk, and it's it gets creepier and more disgusting looking. And uh, man, this is a crazy fucking tale. I'm really interested to see how this all kind of ends up. But an amazing ride, and this has been an amazing new take on the Hulk, and it continues to crank forward in such a cool way. For someone who's read the Hulk for most of his life, like this is unbelievable. Well, to that end. And this is something I was thinking about reading this issue in particular. Is the one below somebody we know, or is this a new character? Because it feels like Al Ewing has been mining so many different aspects of Hulk continuity throughout this run, uh, from Bruce Banner's father to Bruce Banner to all the Hulk's different personalities to everything throughout his history. It feels like this should be some sort of new villain who's the ultimate villain who's controlling things, but... Is it somebody we know already? I mean, is what that the, possible? What could the possible options be? Thunderbolt Ross or Bruce Banner himself? Right. Right? I like, think that's it. Right? What are the other possible, the truly epic Hulk villains? I don't know. I don't Abomination? Know. 
Yeah, maybe. But I, I, I feel like we didn't we fight him already in the yeah, early, early so. part of Al Ewing's run. Well, and uh, to your point, Leader is the step up there, right? Like, Leader is the big Hulk villain. So, yeah. really, the only, and once you've gone past Bruce Banner's father, the only place you can really go is Bruce Banner himself. So, if there is some sort of the one below was Bruce Banner when he was separated by the gamma bomb or something like that, I could see that as a possibility. But yeah. I, I don't know. It was just something that occurred to me while I was reading this. Let's move on and talk about The Last God, Songs of Lost Children, number one from DC Comics, created by uh, uh, Philip Kennedy Johnson, written by Dan Waters and art by Steve Beach. This is an interesting one because we've been loving reading The Last God, but this is not written by Philip Kennedy Johnson. This is somebody else, somebody's else, playing in his world here, which is pretty fascinating. Uh, how do you think it holds up, and how do you think it works as a comic all on its the, own? This is a fucking freaky ass story i think it's a nice kind of like it fits in this world but kind of it's its own thing i think it's a cool kind of like halloween tale in the middle of this thing it's just kind of like a fun scary ass fucking creepy story with a kid that oh my god i'm a very scary monster like that freaked me the fuck out like that was really intense and very scary uh, this is a very cool book. If you like horror books or like Halloweeny kind of things, this is a, definitely a must pick up. I love that this is becoming a little corner of the universe. Like the Last God is such a fun, well thought out universe and story, uh, and the fact that we get sort of just another version of that that is equally horrifying. Like talk about body dysmorphia in the Hulk. Like we get a bunch of that here as well, which is like gross and scary. Uh, I hope there's more. I hope this becomes a real thing. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, just a great one shot. Even if you happen to reading the main series, if you want to read a horror fantasy one shot, this is real good. Steve Beach's yeah. art is great and horrifying. Uh, Dan Waters definitely captures the tone of the Mirian series. Just a very good book overall. Let's move to one that I know Justin was very excited about. The Department of Truth, number two from Uge Comics, written once again by James Tynan IV, wow. art by Martin Simmons. The set of this book is what? What if every conspiracy theory was true? Or rather, if you believe conspiracy theories are true, they become true in the real world, and there's a governmental agency that is trying to take them down. We see all of this through a new recruit of the agency, and in this issue, we find a big twist about his past that ties into the satanic panic of the 80s. What do you think about this one? Did it hold up? to the lofty heights of the first issue. I love this series because it takes a real-world issue and concept and doesn't play it for the politics of it or anything anything that is in the public eye. It plays it pretty straight. Like, it is dangerous in our current world that so many people believe false things, believe conspiracy yeah. theories, and it's causing problems in our culture. And so the fact that those people believe that is making it harder for us all to live normal lives. And this takes that one very small step further in that the amount of people that believe in a conspiracy theory make it actual reality. And if enough people uh, believe in something, it will manifest. Like if enough people – we hit a tipping point where more people believe that the earth is flat than not, the earth becomes flat and everything changes. Uh, like it's such a smart – 
like real threading the needle uh, premise and to play that through the first issue and then the second issue, which is about the satanic panic and how uh, it was something that wasn't believed. And then the more and more people believed it meant it started to become real, which is literally what happened in America. Satanic panic. Uh, yeah, this is very creepy shit. It's really well done. The art is perfectly creepy in all the right waves, the right ways. Um, uh, yeah, I think it's just really cool, really well done. Uh, I'm completely all in, and I love the kind of reveal that we get in this issue about like the main character's kind of past and why he is where he is. So I'm very, very excited to see how this unfolds. I've been really impressed with these with each issue. Uh, Martin Simmons' art is great. James Tinnon's writing is great as well. I am very nervous about this arc, speaking as a Jewish person, uh, just because mm. the character... The demon character, just a spoiler here, that is menacing our main character, which they reference this way in the book, is a anti-Semitic stereotype. So uh, the it's he is just to describe him. He is a guy who has a upside down pentagram on his face. He eats babies. This isn't exactly the thing. It's like one step removed, but there is an anti-Semitic stereotype. Uh, a uh, I don't know what not meme is the only word that I'm thinking of, but that Jews eat Christian babies, what? right? So it's like, like that, a centuries old. Oh, exactly. Shit. Conspiracy, yeah, I so mean, conspiracy not, theory, stereotype, whatever you want to say, like uh, racist um, belief. Yes. Uh, so I, I think James Sadden is aware of this, given that he references it in the book. Yeah. But I think it's, it me- but I also think con- that it's going, you, you finish your point. No, no, no. All I was going to say is like, it definitely makes my chest feel a little tight when I'm reading it because it gets me concerned about how all of this is going to turn out. I'm not too worried about it. He's a responsible writer, but it's certainly like it's something that puts me on edge when I'm reading it. Do you mean how reality is going to turn out? Yeah, reality. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> because that's what, like, I agree. I was like, I was like, whoa, that's a thing to really to put down is like your your villain here but i also think like he's manifesting something that is a one of the longest held conspiracy theories in uh our world um and so i feel like he's sort of what i like about this book is it really sort of looks hard at real shit and leans into the paranoia and anxiety through the main character here about like what it means to believe in something and no matter what it is. Uh, it's scary and, and good. Yeah. It, feel, it feels uh, like a Vertigo book, um, despite the fact that it's from Image Comics. The art feels very Dave McKean. Like, it's really nice. Yeah, it feels like, in a certain way, the heir of Sandman, which I know is a big thing to say for the second issue or something. Uh, but it... It could get there. G.I. Joe number nine from IDW, written by Paul Allure and art by Ryan Kelly. We have been loving this book uh-huh. that has completely reinvented G.I. Joe for a modern context. In this issue, we're focusing on Tunnel Rat, yeah. I want to say, who everyone's hangs favorite out in, joe. Yeah, uh-huh. hangs out in tunnels with rats. Uh-huh. Uh and he's fighting some uh bats, which are uh, uh Cobra. Robot soldiers in these tunnels. Yeah, so going on. 
Pete, you seem yeah, pretty stoked. Yeah, it's funny because all I can think about it when I read this now is you, because when they're saying everybody's code name, you have no uh, a reference for that. So you're just seeing like a silly mm-hmm. name and then it's like somebody died. But because... A lot of these are made up. No, though, they're right? actual G.I. Joes. Um, so these real are, these people. Are, these real people. Yeah. There's a guy whose name was Shipwreck. Yeah, it was my favorite. Well, one of my favorite Joes is Shipwreck. But that's like his if parents, you were... That's if, his Christian, yeah. Christian name. Yes. Yeah. Shipwreck Jones. But Pete, that'd be like like if he was a good sailor, he wouldn't be named Shipwreck. Yeah, but he's kind of a, you know, he's a scrappy guy. You know, it's it's a fun name. That'd be if like one of us is named Bad Podcaster. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite GI Joe is fuck up. <laughs> Dope. Here I go uh, again. Jinx, there's a Jinx. She was a GI Joe. She was great, or is great, great. But she always Thanks, like Pete. saying the same stuff at the same time. Other uh, I I didn't love this issue. This is uh, after a run of fantastic issues. This was a little bit of a step down for me. I still think the art by Ryan Kelly was good, but the story didn't feel quite as sharp as the last couple, which was- were. Granted, high water marks of excellence, so I think that's an unfair judging point. Uh, but this is a, this is a good story of war. I like the whole overall arc of Cobra has won, GI Joe has to fight back. That's a smart place to put them. Um, but I do think uh, the last couple of issues were better. Also, it's kind of crazy to see GI Joes use like real guns because. Like in the show, it was always like lasers and no one got hit. So it was crazy to see, you know, turn around, like turn around and actually shoot someone and see blood. I was like, damn. Uh, but yeah. Well, and I think that's that's what this issue, like I, I take your point, Alex. The other ones really dealt, the previous issues dealt with like really intense themes. And this feels more like it's taking an episode of uh, the G.I. Joe animated series and giving it actual stakes where like a bunch of Joes died and Tunnel Rat is like scraping by, the, getting away with this by the skin of his teeth and escaping from this horrible situation. Spoiler. So in in that way, uh, it felt like giving giving stakes to the sort of goofy plots of so many of those G.I. Joe episodes, I wasn't allowed to watch it because they had guns, um, is, is I think, cool. I, I like this issue. Agreed. But it's also kind there of like go. naming Joes and then being like, they died. So it's kind of sad. And if you don't really connect with it, I can understand what you're saying, Zelps. Yeah, I Next can't up. believe, I can't believe um, Granny Smith Apple, my favorite <laughs> oh, Joe, died man. in this. R.I.P. <laughs> Uh, that is a sour note to end on. Conor, Colonel Weird Cosmogog, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Jeff Lemire and art by Tyler Crook. This is spinning off of the Black Hammer series following the, I guess he's best described as the Adam Strange of the Black Hammer universe who yes. has gotten unstuck in time a la Slaughterhouse-Five. This is following him as he's trying to piece together his history as usual, just great comics, great plotting. Tyler Cook's art is great. So this good. is great. The end. It felt to me like uh, a pitch for um, Adam Strange. I was like, oh, um, someone's already doing that. Okay, well, I'll just put it over here. Um, and it's really great. Like like you said, uh, it. 
I felt the same way with the, of the comparisons, like Adam Strange and uh, Slaughterhouse Five, uh, two things I love. So it, with the Fantastic Art here is a great, great book. Yeah, to I read. mean, it's not the worst thing when you go to grab a soda pop and then you're stuck in time. You know, it's just rough. But yeah, mm-hmm. this is like classic tripped out Jeff Lemire shit. And I'm excited to see where this goes. The art is unbelievable in this kind of setup in this world. Uh, yeah, I thought it was a solid first issue. Does a great job of getting you excited for more. Yeah, I can't wait. Let's move on and talk about shoe number four from Image Comics, written by John Lehman, art by Dan Boltwood. We're finally getting into it here as Chu and his sister are coming oh, to a head yeah. by the end of the issue. Uh, this series is really hitting its stride, I think, in terms of a air to chew, C-H-E-W versus C-H-U. Um, it took an issue or two to get there, but John Lehman has hit his groove again in terms of the series. There's fun stuff. There's ridiculous stuff. Um, there's dark stuff that's happening. Um, I'm having a lot of fun reading this series. Me too. And I'm not a You're not a chew fan. I'm not a chew head. I'm not a chow hound. Um, but I like this uh, issue a lot. Um, I like this series a lot. Uh, maybe I, I don't know if it means I should go back and reread the original. You shoes. should. Take you another, should. Take another yes. bite. Uh, mm-hmm. Go back. Because I feel like I ate it and then I spit it out and I'm just eat it yeah, again. You mm-hmm. Eat it again. Uh, okay. Um, yeah, I, I'm I'm a chew head, so I was gonna like this, but yeah, I'm really impressed with this now, especially it feels like it's really kind of got its rhythm and this is very exciting, fantastic ending. Um I'm excited to see what happened and who got shot. I think chew fans are called chronic masticators. Is that true? <laughs> <laughs> Is that, wow. is that what it is? Uh, I'm yes. glad you Googled that. I think that. so. Didn't Google it. Brained wow. it. I brained it right out. <laughs> the original Google. <laughs> Let's move on to one that I am uh, concerned and nervous and interested to talk to you guys about. Batman Three Jokers, oh, number yeah. three from DC Comics, written by Jeff Johns and art by Jason Fabok. Uh, now, I, I think we've been pretty complimentary of the first two issues. Jason Fabook's art has been great. Jeff Johns' plotting as Batman and Red Hood and Batgirl have been tracking down these three, three Jokers and trying to figure out the mystery has been I think interesting and really driveling into the characters. Uh, I believe what I said with the last issue is this felt like what Jeff Johns was trying to do with Doomsday Clock, but is actually now doing his Alan Moore riff on Killing Joke instead. Um, I got to tell you, though, I was real disappointed in this issue, personally. Um, I didn't love how it turned out. Still like Jason Fabuk's art, but uh, I was unhappy with the turns for Red Hood, for Batgirl, for Batman, for Joker. Just... None of it really sat with me the uh, right way, even though I respect the craft that was put into there it. There was Pete? one. I thought the way they kind of had that Joe Chill interview run throughout the issue was cool. Like while different things were happening, you got little clips of it. I thought that was very creative and cool. And like uh, you kind of really felt that. Uh, yeah. I mean, the reveal of what the deal is, is kind of like the big thing on this. And you're either like, oh, cool. Or you're like, what? 
and I was a little like scratching my head. Um, and it was also weird. There was a lot of infighting, which I don't like. Uh, Batman losing it on Robin, you know, and like a lot of fighting with Robin and Barbara. And it was just like a lot of misconnects there. And I, I, yeah, it was, I mean, I wasn't excited. I think it was an interesting choice and the art is definitely worth checking it out. Um, I did kind of like, there was like a Batman moment where he saved somebody and I thought that was powerful and cool. But I, yeah, I don't know. Like the, the reveal was a little kind of. For me, it's like, uh, cause I agree. I really like the art and, uh, I think that really shines through a lot of it. I haven't seen a comic really laid out this way with a uh, sort of classic comic book paneling, but very close up. You're very close up to all the care, a lot of the characters, um, but I think it's a little bit impenetrable as a read because you got three Jokers, quote unquote, and then you've got these three characters in the Bat family who are the most sort of affected victims of Joker. Um, yeah. And it never really, it, it feels a little too directed or it's like a little too like on the nose in the way that it, the the story unfolds. And then it feels like too much of like threading together different continuity things. It feels like it's doing so much editorial work that I don't, I don't need it all to make sense. I feel like we've reconciled for the fact we talk about this a lot that like, yeah, the Joker's a uh, sort of genius biochemist and a crazed psychopath who just shoots random people all the time. And it's like, well, that's just what people have chosen to take the character in different iterations of the character. To try to thread all that together is difficult and also a little bit unnecessary. And I think it's difficult. I think this issue proves uh, it's very I also hard. really liked how Alfred was alive in this. And it was nice to see Batman talking to Alfred again. <laughs> sure. Uh one of my problems with this is I think Scott Snyder already put in the work to explain this in his run where he went through very meticulously and explained how the Joker reinvents himself all the time yeah. to for various reasons, but one of them to be to respond to Batman, to be the different antagonist that Batman needs because he loves Batman and he needs Batman and he wants to make a better Batman or whatever he wants to do at the current time. And Jeff Johns coming up with these three Jokers, the ultimate conclusion here seems to reiterate that in a different way that already feels like it's been covered. Beyond that, though, the two things that really kind of, and this sounds too strong, but stuck in my craw, I didn't love how he uh, characterized uh, Barbara. I think she was too much like, oh, boys, what are you doing? You know, there's a lot of conflicted looks from her and not a lot of action. And she's a fantastic character who should have agency of her own. That has nothing to do with the red hood, uh, hoods arc or Batman's arc. And then the other thing, the big thing, and this is getting into the big spoiler for the issue. So if you don't want to know, no, definitely turn away. But, uh, he pretty definitively chooses one of the three jokers from killing joke to say, this is who the Joker is. This is his origin. And I hate that. I hate that because he tries to have it both ways by saying, 
it doesn't matter who the Joker is. It's not important. Also, here's who he is, and here's his origin, and here's his family, and why I don't say what his name is. And that, to me, is a very frustrating, have-your-cake-and-eat-it-to type moment uh, that I did not love at no. all. Okay. And it's also like, what's what's the point of doing that in this non-continuity book? Like, w- it's just literally Jeff Johns putting his stamp on something, but it doesn't really mean much for the the larger world. And I, I think this book and like so many books are like, I'm going to carve out, uh, I'm going to research so much of the continuity and carve out a tiny little thing that feels like it's there's an opening there. And I think as a comic book reader, I'm ready to move on from that as a a philosophy of like storytelling, which I think we've done a lot in the last like five, 10 years. Uh, I, I would like to say that I think, you know, sometimes when you get an idea for maybe a character or something and, you know, you want to try it, I think, yeah, go for it. Definitely. Like, well, I want to see Jeff John's take on this three jokers idea. I was into it. I was like, yeah, let's do this. This could be crazy. This will be fun. Jeff John's is an amazing writer. Sometimes, you know, you're like, eh, I tried something, you know, great. You know, I don't think he should mm-hmm. not try it because maybe somebody else did something similar or whatever. He should be allowed to do it. Yeah. He definitely tried. And, hey, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, my God, that's crazy. And sometimes it's like, eh, you know, what are you going to do? I think he just needs to stop correcting for Alan Moore. Jeff Johns is his own writer. He's a fantastic writer. He's written some of the best DC comic stories of all time. Uh, Doomsday Clock was his way of correcting the course from Watchmen. This is clearly his way of correcting the course from Killing Joke. Uh, He doesn't need to respond to him anymore. He's done it. I want to see him move on. I want to see him do his own stories, create his own stories, create his own continuity, because the things that he's done have been so wonderful, and he has so much craft and so much heart to his things. We need more of that. Uh, I don't know what that character is. Obviously, he's doing Stargirl, and I love that show, and it's wonderful. It sure is. There is so much heart put into that. Um, But when and if he comes back to comics, I want to see more on that side than just saying... No, Alan Moore said the DC universe the wrong direction for twenty years. Let's. Uh, but maybe that's how we get Stargirl with so much heart because he's got to write something that's darker and more fucked up. Maybe it, it, I'm not necessarily saying about that. I'm saying specifically about relating to Alan Moore, which it's fine. Those exist. Let's move on. Uh, Speaking of which, let's move on to a sender for number fourteen from Image <laughs> Comics, written by Jeff Lemire and art by Dustin Wynn. This I. Th- think is my favorite book in the stack every wow. month. I think this is the wow. book that like I I like e like I e <laughs> about the things that happen in the book and in this issue we continue to get so many characters coming together. Spoiler, three, two, one, but Tim 21 from Descender finally comes back of this issue and it is such a thrill and this is the epic space opera that we've been missing while Saga has been gone, and it yeah. is wonderful to read every month, month after month. Just every character really pops in this book, in all, in like every issue, and there's so many great moments. Like uh, the the team on this book has just done the work to establish so much stuff in Descender, and the fact that. They were able to, from a writing uh, with Jeff Lemire and an artist standpoint with Dustin Wynn, like 
continue to just deliver these excellent stories. What well, like we see Driller in this, oh. and he's like he's just like being yeah. himself. He has like one scene, loved it, but it's just great and uh, a great battle here uh, near the end, and the reveal of Team Twenty One, like Alex said, is just so sweet. It makes you cheer and. Uh, it's it's so hard to do that, and the fact that they can do that with almost every issue in this series is amazing. Yeah, it's really impressive. Like, there is one kind of character who's kind of like the reader a little bit, who's like, what? Oh, shit, look who it is! You know, and you're kind of like, oh, it. it's just, it's so well done and so impressive, and I can't stress this enough, the art is like a watercolor painting. It's so beautiful and so cool with what they're doing. And I love the characters, and this just continues to kick freaking ass every single issue. And I can't wait for this to be collected A-Center, D-Center, because I want to go back and read it all again. Do you think they're going to do a third series, like just Sender? Oh, come on, don't ruin it, man. Return to Sender. Don't ruin it. Mm. It will be, it's Descender, and then Ascender, and then just sitting there. Cold chilling. <laughs> Next up, Shang-Chi number two from Marvel Comics, written by Gene Luen Yang and art by Dai Kruan. Uh, we really enjoyed, I think, the first issue of this book, which found Shang-Chi uh, returning to his roots, going up against his sister. Here we meet his sister uh, very briefly, and a conflict arises as well as more mythology. I really like this issue. I just needed more of it. That's my one criticism. It was surprisingly short, it felt like. Uh, yeah, I feel that way in that it, a lot of the stuff that happens, I'm like, I see, this makes sense, everything total sense. And then we get in the, later in the issue, we get some fun reveals and some great art transitions. Yeah. Um, we, uh, Shang-Chi has a sort of vision um, at a one point and... That's where the issue really touched off for me and, and was great. Yeah, I'm, I've am i been really impressed with this. Also, just the classic story. I mean, it sucks when, you know, uh, your sibling gets split off uh, from you to be raised in some kind of killer martial art and you don't get to see them till later in life, you know, because you miss those golden years, you know. Um, but I think this is... Uh, gr- yeah, Pete, how is... Um, Sam. Oh, man. You know, he's good. He's on Torture Island. Still doing great. Doing what he loves. But I think that this is just a... Being tortured? Uh, no, do he does the torturing. He's moved his way up in the island. Oh, okay. To, you know, worked from the bottom. Now he's Congrats. here. Uh, we should have him on the podcast. I don't think that's a good idea. He actually has a much more controlled temper than you. Yeah, well, it's all the training. Um... <laughs> I just think this is a great book. I hope people give it a, tr- uh, a chance, and I'm excited to see where this goes. The art continues to be amazing. Next up, Undiscovered Country, number nine from Image Comics, written by Scott Snyder and Charles Soule, art by Giuseppe Camancoli and Leonardo Marcello Grassi. In this issue, our heroes, <laughs> question mark, are in the second rung of America as they continue to go deeper and deeper towards the middle. Find a lot more about the backstory of America and what happened after the closing of the walls around America. Also, some very, very bad things happened to Unity, courtesy of the Destiny Man. Um, just uh, really good every issue. I enjoy. 
I'm really enjoying this arc in particular. It feels far more accessible than yeah. the previous arc. Yes. Yeah. I feel yeah. like with this, this issue specifically, I'm like, I've yeah. finally come to grips with not the stuff I don't know and the stuff I do know. They're like in balance in a way where I'm like, yes, now I can move through this story. Because um, I agree with you. Like, I really like it. The arts were great. It's like pure discovery, uh, every issue and every panel that you're reading of this comic. And now it feels like we know sort of what the characters know and we can all move forward. Together. Yeah, I think it's it's really because it's like us as a reader and this comic really line up because there are a moment where like they, a wall is gone and they start driving. And it's like, all right, here we go. Now we're rolling. And I feel like. There's so much craziness and like us trying to figure out what's going on. And now we've kind of gotten to a place where it's like, all right, I kind of understand some things enough to really start enjoying this story. And it's really taking off in a great way. So I'm excited to see how this unfolds. But it really is like it's really rolling now. And I'm very excited. Yep, great stuff. Moving on to an ending, Batgirl number 50 from DC Comics, written by Cecil Castellucci, art by Emanuel, Manuela uh, Lapacino, Marguerite Savage, and Anek. Uh, and this is the last issue of Batgirl for now. Uh, also kind of a big deal because it introduces Ryan Wilder, a.k.a. the new Batwoman, on TV into DC Comics continuity, albeit very briefly. Um I got to tell you, I have not read Batgirl that much recently, but I like this issue quite a bit versus my uh, commentary on Three Jokers. I think Cecil Castellucci perfectly captures what Barbara is about. I like her status quo here, working for a Congress candidate, I want to say, and just the balance she finds throughout these three stories with both Batgirl and Barbara Gordon, I thought was very nice across the board. Yeah, I thought this was a lot of fun. Uh, the game night story was great. Uh, bright, fun stories. It was, wasn't like as dark and as gritty. I, I was, I, I liked Batgirl, and it's sad to see her go. Um, I, th- I thought the art in uh, this throughout this whole issue was just so good. Like it's so clean. I feel like Barbara just really yep. pops uh, the whole time. Um, and yeah, uh, to your point, like she, Batgirl in in this book really exists in her own uh, pocket of the Bat family and the Gotham universe, and I think that's the way it should be. I I too haven't read too much of this arc, but I love the Batgirl character, and I love how each different writer gets to come in and really find a different avenue to explore with Batgirl. Yeah. I'm going to go back and reread the, some of the uh, earlier stuff I think stuff so, here. too, because I like this quite a bit, and I like the status quo as well. I, I hadn't really read it since the Batgirl of Burnside stuff, um, yeah. but this is this is a nice place to put Barbara. Next up, Bliss number 4 from yeah. Image Comics, written by Sean Lewis and art by Caitlin Yarsky. This is set in a world where people uh, suck on a, a what? Cheesesteak? I want to say cheesesteak. Blistic. Oh. Blistic. Um, Don't force it, guys. Don't force it. There are beings who sell misery and suck out people's misery. There's a guy who works for them. He is going after his wife. We both catch up to that moment and catch up to the present here and finally move beyond it in this issue. There's just some epic action and emotional stuff here. And this title continues to be so, Yeah, this is one of my favorite picks for the week. Uh, I was really impressed. 
Uh, it kind of builds to this moment in a, such a great way. This comic does a great job of like, okay, this is what it's about, but it kind of all culminates in this issue. And have a classic uh, husband and wife showdown, you know? Uh, and <laughs> classic. man, classic. You know, Gunfight. We're all going to yeah. be there in a gunfight with our significant other. And uh, you got to be careful for crows because they can fly through people if they want to. So, fun fact. Smart birds. Um, but yeah, I, I thought this was a fantastic, badass issue. The father-son hug was such a cool moment that they kind of lingered on a little bit, which I really liked. Uh, I thought I've just been... Really impressed with where this comic started to where it is now. The art is unbelievable, but man, what a cool story. Uh, yeah, I agree. This, to me, feels like Dune meets Twin Peaks uh, in a cool way. Um, the uh, uh, Later, when we see the sort of um, older version of one of our main characters, very Bob from uh, Twin Peaks, which I think was very nice. cool. Um yeah, so I like that blend. The art is fantastic. I agree. It's a good read. read. Next up, An Unkindness of Ravens, number two from Boob Studios, written by Dan Pinozzi and an art by Mariana Ignazzi. If you haven't listened to our live podcast with Dan Pinozzi, you can go back just a week or so and listen to that in the Comic Book Club feed. Uh, but the first issue was kind of like... The Craft meets Sabrina, meets a couple of other things as a girl moves to a new town, finds out she looks exactly like somebody who's missing, and gets pulled between the popular kids and the goth kids who turn out to be the witch kids. Uh, we find out a little bit more about this, this issue. Uh, how do you think this held up from issue number one? I think it's great. It pushes both stories sort of down the line. I like the – when we talked to Dan, I said I really love the transition of the sort of first little bit at the top that sets the the dark tone into the more Archie-style art I think is so nice. It really lets the uh, horrifying tone from the first couple of pages bleed over into the situation, and you feel more paranoid reading it, and it really puts you in the, the same mindset as the main character. I like this series. I do a lot. too. I, I'm really impressed from where it started to where it goes. Um, it's really uh, the more we kind of find out, this better the story gets. This is really interesting. The art's unbelievable, and they're doing a great job with the art uh, leading the story in such a way. Like they really change panels in such a cool, magical way that really fits things. And, uh, yeah, I, you got to be careful when someone wants to write on your hand. You gotta, you can't just be okay with that. You know what I mean? You got to be really wary when mm-hmm. someone's like, hey, give me your hand. You know, that's not cool. Yeah, you don't want to join the Pen15 Club. Yeah. I know what you're talking about. Last but not least, A Man Among Ye, number three from Image Comics, written by Stephanie Phillips and art by Craig Cermak. Uh, we talked about the first two issues of this one as well. This is a female-focused pirate tale. Um, the place that they left off at the last issue felt like finally getting the crew together. And I felt like that's where we pick up this issue. This is the one that I've enjoyed the most so far because I feel like we finally have the right mix of characters in this crew, even if they're not technically a crew yet. Um, But lots of fun. And Craig Cermak's art is still great. How'd you guys feel? Yeah, I agree. I felt like this is really picking up steam in all the right ways. 
Um, it's, it's very excited now that we kind of, kind of got the people all in the same place, how this is going to unfold. Uh, but yeah, just classic badass pirate lady. I, I love it. This is really cool. Uh, I love the kind of last page reveal. Um, I think this is great. And the art is fantastic. Yeah, it's all right. Reminds me of Captain Valiant, the uh, Sunday comic. Hey, fuck you, like, man. Where I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll read this at the end of the comic. Fuck, fuck you, okay. man. Okay. This comic's yep. better than that. Gotcha. Hey, I'll tell you what. I'm glad we ended with this one. If you'd like to support our <laughs> podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about comics, iTunes, Android, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe and listen to the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, what's up, Yeah, Pete? it's all right. Oh, wow. Wow. I had a slightly non-glowing review and you're like, well, man. I just, I think, I think it's better than you're giving it. You're not giving it a chance. Okay, I'm, I, I'm reading it. Uh, I mean, not to interrupt you guys, but the show is oh, over. Okay. No, it's not over <laughs> yet. Um, sorry, <clears throat> but I, let me, I just have to take this call um, with the Marvel Comics action figure line. <laughs> for a watcher with more dick. <laughs> and I think it's going okay. really well. Uh-huh.